0: it is just the right amount of hot in this room right now so I hope everybody is uh, a nice 76 in the room just to make sure everybody was uh, really focused and uh, ready to listen to some Torah this might be the last time you hear me speak for NCSY because this is a fairly controversial topic to discuss publicly in an NCSY audience, but we're going to talk about it anyways and it's controversial for good reason because in the back of minute, and a lot of you have the face, I'm like, what is the topic? Uh, <laughs> we deliberately we put in like very little legal print on the bottom of the poster, the actual topic to, uh, to trick most of you to be here, to manipulate most of you to be here. The topic that we're going to speak, of, uh, speak about tonight is whether or not Kirov outreach is manipulative. And we might not come to a definitive answer, though I think we'll set up some really important guidelines, but it is a question that I am sure many of you have thought about, has bothered many of you, many of you may have even been on the receiving end of a manipulative relationship. And it could have been not in an evil or insidious way. How many of you have ever gotten a text, hey, come to an event tonight, you know, we'd love to have you, we have, you know, 50 or 60 people coming, it's going to be really amazing. And, and you show up and you're one of three people in the room and you look around you're like, this, this is not an event that I wanted to be at, I don't know why I agreed to show up, and you feel that you were sold a, a bill of goods. Too often, when I am in, and this always happens in Eric Tisseroll, in America, I don't think they they could get away with it. But how often, uh, you know, I remember that somebody stops you and says, we, We need you for a minion. You're the tenth person. And you walk into that minion, and God is my witness, you know, they are nowhere near ten people for that minion. They have like four or five. And he said, okay, I I guess I, I need to be more discriminating. I need to be more careful for why I showed up here. The reason why I decided to speak about this tonight, it began with a Facebook poll. I don't know if you're familiar with Facebook polls. I found out that they're extremely ineffective, a Facebook poll. A Facebook poll, somebody put online, and they did it in an NCSY staff group. Some of you may even be in that group, and they asked NCSY staff members, How do you look at your role? Do you consider yourself a Makare, somebody who does outreach, or do you consider yourself an educator, somebody who is involved in education? Now, the reason why Facebook polls are so ineffective is because, and I don't know if there's a way to stop this, you can add on your own options to the Facebook poll. So it started with two options. And then all of the Ram Dunham and all the, the geniuses started adding on. There were like 11 options after 30 seconds of, of what you view your role in NCSY. So everybody said, I, I feel like I'm a little bit of both. A lot of people added both. I'm not, I'm not a Kirov person. Kirov doesn't really talk to me. I'm not really an educator. I feel like I'm a little bit of both. Some people said I'm there for social reasons. I want to hang out. I want to get a shirt I want to get five percent off at this farm sale. I want to do both at the same time. Whatever works. People said, "I am. Uh, I'm not choosing a side." But obviously, that's not how polls work. Polls work because you need to pick one of those options a- and go with it. So the question that was posed of which one do you view yourself as? It's a little bit distracting. I don't want to. I don't want to call her out, but I do have. Uh, I do have a family member in the room. It's very strange speaking in front of family because you feel like you are at a, a very, very large Shabbos table, and they are giving you a look, saying, I cannot believe that this is happening right now. <laughs> are you actually calling me out? But I'm not going to use her name, but she is giving me that look, so you should all uh, be, you could, you could try to do an educated guess of who that is, like giving me that, like, is this happening right now? Um, there was a different post that happened, of why I'm giving this shirt time It's a post that I don't think anybody here that I know was a part of. Uh, it was also part of a Facebook discussion group. As many of you know, I feel like I'm revealing something very private and intimate about myself. Outwardly, I'm a Twitter person. Th- this we know. I am uh, fairly active on Twitter, and I am nearly completely silent on all of my communal WhatsApp groups. I sometimes apply every six months with an obscure emoji that I found interesting. I'll just kind of throw it out there in response to a question, have them figure out what I meant. Uh, and every once in a while, um, I post on Facebook. On Facebook, my hug is, is I almost never post, I think I posted once in May of last year, something fairly serious. Uh, But I really never post. The one thing I do do on Facebook, which is an interesting minhug that I'll just shout out today because it was my birthday recently, is every single person who wishes me an HBD on Facebook, which is like, you actually get like five notifications to wish your friends an HBD. I try to respond to every single person with a full-blown paragraph, just kind of (laughs) professing where our relationship is. They find it very uncomfortable uh, but I, I get really real in my Facebook birthday responses. It's not just a like, it's much more. It's a minimum of paragraph, sometimes more. I was introduced to a Facebook group that is a dialogue between people who are no longer from, who are no longer religious, and, and people who are religious. It's dialogue between a community that, on the surface, really have very little to do with each other. On the surface, you may have a relative, and let me just be absolutely clear: these are not people who were not raised from these aren't. This isn't your distant cousin or an uncle or a family member who didn't have a Jewish education. And simply isn't from. These are people who went to yeshivas. They grew up either in the Hasidic world, the Yeshivish world, some of them in the modern Orthodox world, and they no longer identify as religious. They not They used in the colloquial term. They went off the derech. The term that we use. And I am a part of this Facebook group which is a dialogue between people who are from who consider themselves religious in one way or another and people who are no longer religious. They were at a point in their lives orthodox and at a point in their lives they decided that they no longer want to affiliate with the from community. And I almost never post on Facebook but for the first time ever I decided to post to this group. And I posted the following question. I said is Kiruv manipulative? And is there a way to make it less manipulative? And your answer, because I know the people in this group, a lot of them have been birthed. A lot of them decided to become from, whether it's through NCSY or the work of Torah or Birthright or Sameach or any of the the yeshivas that that people decide to change the trajectory of their life. I, I wrote and I said, is this manipulative? Do you feel that you were manipulated into doing what you were doing? And there's a way to make it less manipulative. So you feel that the process of changing the trajectory of your life which is a major major decision is there a way that it can be less so and i really threw it out to the group i said you should know you could respond no it's inherently there's no way that you can do this and if that's your answer i'm not judging you i'm not blaming you i understand you the post got got nearly 300 responses It, it, it poured in and on, on Facebook again, I'm not used to this. I'm, I'm, I'm a Twitter person, so the responses were getting responses, and many conversations were breaking out. And it clearly became a conversation that for people hit an extraordinarily raw nerve in their experiences, because everybody here, everybody here, at some point in their lives, has questioned their religious decisions. And it may not be at this moment. It may not. It may be in five years down the line, or ten years down the line. But everybody in this room at one point or another said I committed myself to live in one way and maybe I either did too little or I did too much but I need to grab a hold of the steering wheel of my life and I want to change the direction. I doubled down, I took, I took something upon myself too seriously. I, I maybe shouldn't have grown that beard at such a young age or grown that mustache which was definitely a bad decision. So everybody has the decisions in their life where they think that they start to reevaluate it. And obviously, somebody who was raised totally outside of the Orthodox community and then decides all of a sudden to become from is left with a lot of questions. So I want to state by way of introduction, one important point. Should we be asking this question? Are we chipping at the foundation of a movement? that has returned hundreds of people, thousands of people, back to Yiddishkeit since the 1960s when the Kirov movement really began. Is this an okay question to ask? Or, or somebody, you know, get, get Rabbi Greenland on the phone, call, call somebody from the OU. Somebody's up here and questioning the whole foundation, what NCSY, what outreach, and what Jewish education is by asking this question. And I want to say from the outset that I think it's absolutely an important question to ask. And it's a question that will help us refine not only the way that we treat and interact with people in an educational or outreach setting, but I think it will help us think differently about our own education and our own self-development. A word about manipulation. Somebody responded to my Facebook post and wrote as follows said, all education is manipulation, except maybe math. That was the response, which I I enjoyed. And I think that it's true. We need to define the parameters of what manipulation is. There are two types of manipulation. There is somebody who is actively trying to manipulate somebody else into a decision that they do not know the repercussions of that decision. It is insidious, it is deliberate. That is one type of manipulation. There is another type of manipulation where I might tell you, or you might be at a, at a great music concert, and the lights are dimmed, and they have a light show, and the singer is up there, and they have certain type of banners there, and all of that is there to give you a certain experience. And you might make a decision at that concert. As you're leaving, you see that they have set up stacks of uh, CDs or swag or T-shirts, and it's there on your way out so you can buy it. Now, they're not forcing you into it, but let's not kid ourselves. That is an act of manipulation. They are setting up the concession stand on the way into a movie theater. There's a reason why they put the popcorn stand on the way in and not on the way out. Nobody wants a gallon of popcorn right after they finished a movie. That's when you start to rethink your life decisions once you finish that gallon of popcorn. (laughs) So there is an underlying part of life that is what I would call soft manipulation. It's the feeling of, okay, I'm being set up in a place where I'm being pushed towards a certain decision. That doesn't have to be manipulative. Everybody, and people say, well, it depends if you have an agenda. Everybody has an agenda. Your teachers had agendas, your parents had agendas, you have agendas. An agenda doesn't mean that it's wrong. An agenda means that you have goals and you have purpose and you have the right to sit at the table of marketing your values and ideas at the same table as the person selling popcorn at the movie theater, at the same table as Justin Bieber, at the same table as, uh, as the bike NCSY cover, who are trying to get you to sign up for bike NCSY, which you should, absolutely. Is it right outside? You just gave me a look. Okay. Okay. I just got a second look, not from, my, not from a family member from a bike NCSY member. It was a really, really angry look. Okay, but all of those things are ways they're pushing you into a direction of a decision. They're not forcing you, but that's marketing your values and your ideas. But I want to talk about this quote for a moment. All education is manipulation except maybe math. And I want to share with you that I think the way to uncover this question is thinking about the word for education in Hebrew. There are three words that describe education in Hebrew. And each one of them tells us about the potential for manipulation and the potential for success. If you were to ask an educator in the late 1800s what is his job, what do you think he would respond? What did he call himself in the late 1800s, probably into the early 1900s? Does anybody know? No, he would not call himself a Machanech. That is a very modern term. He would call himself a Malamed. He would call himself a Milamed. A Milamed. I am a Malamed Tinokos. I teach children. And a Malamed comes from the root word of Limud, to teach. I think the word Malamed and Limud of teaching is coming from the subject matter. We teach a certain subject. A milamed is a content-driven teacher. We have a milamed who is teaching chumash to young children. You have a milamed who is teaching a different piece of content or a different part of the curriculum. There is a curriculum-driven education, content-driven education. It's the difference between the subject that you learn, whether it's math or geography or chumash or gemara or tanach. Now, what is the curriculum that we teach when we, do, when we do outreach? And this, I think, is something that we need to talk about, and we need to talk about very honestly. Because there is a potential for dishonesty in the world of outreach when our curriculum and our content is off base. There is a book by Jordan Ellenberg, Called how not to be wrong I believe he is the true life example of the, from the movie searching for Bobby Fischer which came out probably before most of you were born but it is a phenomenal phenomenal movie about a young chess genius it's not about Bobby Fischer the anti-Semite it's about a, a young chess genius um, and he went on to write a, a book on math and he has an entire section in his book that talks about Bible codes and talks about how there was a sweeping sensation in the Jewish community to prove, so to speak, the existence of God through Bible codes. And he analyzes them through purely math. And he has a whole chapter on how, for many people, the way that they presented this content in this curriculum, they were totally misled. Because if you look and you analyze it properly through the mathematics, This really didn't turn out to be much of a proof. Now, you might argue, no, it was a proof, it wasn't a proof. All I can tell you is that in the collective mathematics community, this was not taken very seriously. And people, nonetheless, went out and they started teaching this type of curriculum in a way that people ended up staking their decision-making in these wow proofs. In the Facebook group that I posed this question to, they said over and over again the people who came and tried to prove definitively one way or the other and conquer us with the quality of their curriculum, with the quality of their content, big turnoff. It did not work for us. So, why do we educate at all? You know, there, there's an interesting article. David Schatz wrote an article in Tradition uh, about. 20 years ago. You could, you could look it up. It's on Biblical Concordism, which is about trying to prove science through the Bible. You could look at the article, uh, judging, by your, uh, judging by your faces, nobody has the article on them right now in this room, and I don't blame you. Uh, but in the article, at the very end, he says that there is a method used in the Kirov movement which critics regard as potentially counterproductive. He says there is a way that we try to prove, quote-unquote, the existence of God, the truth of the Torah, that can be counterproductive. Because if at any moment the math community or the science community comes together and undercuts the truth of any given theory that you try to give them, then where are the people who you taught, where are they left? They're left wondering, was I sold a bill of goods? Was I sold something ridiculous? But why is education curriculum-wise, important. And I want to state very briefly why I think it's extraordinarily crucial. Many of you have heard this from me before. It's it's even more dangerous. If, if, if I've been somewhat subversive to this point, um, hold on to your seats. There is a There was a play on Broadway. I, I don't need to mention its name. If you know which one it is, then great. If you don't, uh, great also, you could probably Google it uh, without a doubt it uh, it uh, was from beginning to end full of kfira and heresy of the highest order of the highest order, but um, it was a play about religion it was a play about outreach and it was about outreach not outreach from the Jewish community, outreach in a different community and it was about people who went to do outreach in Africa and bring people to the religion and they met a bunch of Africans, and they said, um, you know, what, uh, what are you guys looking for? What are you struggling with in your religious life? So they said, religious life? I'll, t- I'll tell you what we're struggling with. There's an AIDS epidemic right now. Uh, there's a warlord who is actually killing us and stealing all of our money. And uh, there's a total poverty in all the communities. Nobody has any money. There's a total... Economic downturn that nobody has any money to eat. So they thought for a second. They looked at you know their holy scriptures and they said, hmm. They realized that their scriptures really didn't have what to offer you know to solve their uh, medical issues. So they started making stuff up and they said, well, actually, uh, it's funny you mentioned it. Yeah, I, I, I skipped that page. Uh, part of what our religion that we we actually we actually do cure AIDS. I just realized I forgot that that's one of the things that we do. Uh, again, if you if you go on the right program on the right bus, you sign up for TJJ early. You do get the uh, the cancer cure. That's thrown in. That's thrown in free. I kind of forgot to mention that. That's that's my mistake. It's the early birth discount. Cancer cancer cure. That's that's what we throw in. And they said, oh, that's great. That's unbelievable. I would love to. I would love to have my diseases cured. So they all converted. They all converted to this religion. Every single person. They came back, and they were the most popular macarvins. They were the most popular out people. And all the people came back to their community, and when they came to the community, they were sitting in their local religious uh, synagogues, churches, and they turned over to the person next to them, and the person said, so, so why did you become religious? And they said, well... <laughs> The AIDS cure, obviously. I mean, did, do you guys have that too? And they're like, "What? We don't. We don't cure AIDS." And I said, "Well, what? What about the? Uh, you guys stop. Uh, you guys stop the pillaging and the murder." So that that was a big perk. They said, "What? Well, we don't do any of that stuff. That's not what this religion is about." And all of a sudden, when they became close to a lived community practicing this religion, everybody was. They were standing on nothing. They realized that the lived religion had nothing to do with the made-up facts that they were taught. The reason why being a malamed as a part of presenting the values of our religion are important is because it is our content, it is the content of Torah that anchors our values and ideas and prevents us from making this very mistake. So we don't go out and simply make stuff up. And all of us, at a point, have been asked questions where we don't know the answer and we weren't totally honest with ourselves. We said, you know what? I can uh, I can take this one. You know, let me let, let me try to remember, you know, what that line I heard from that class was uh, 8 years ago and fumble through and you end up giving an answer that simply was not true, was not right, and they end up coming to a religious experience that is not incongruous with the lived religious community. So being a muamade and limud of the content that we teach, is a central part of being able to market our values and anchors us and prevents us from the manipulation that we can so easily stray into if we aim just to please. If we aim just to inspire and say, I'll inspire you at any cost. So I'll make stuff up. I'll make up stories that never happened. I'll make up facts that aren't true. I'll mangle phrases that aren't correct. We need to make sure that we're anchored to a lived Jewish tradition. There's a second word for education. And that's the word that we use in our title. And that's the word kiruv. To be mikharev. To draw somebody closer. Now what does the word mikharev deal with? If milamev deals with the content that you teach, mikharev deals with the relationship that you try to cultivate. And it's the relationship that you try to draw them close to. The question is, in relationship-driven education, who are you trying to draw the person who you are interacting with close to? Now, all of us would probably instinctively say we're trying to draw them close to God. But that's not 100% true, and that's not hundred that doesn't have to be true. All of us have been drawn close to a teacher, to a mentor, to an educator, who is mikharev us, who draw us close. Through social interactions... I, I was put it down there. Sorry. Through social interactions, we have... Half of you are here for those interactions. For, for pizza, for for Coke, for soda. We sit around, and we have a social structure. We are all being mikha because there are relationships that propel our decision-making. There are relationships that we have with teachers, with mentors that help us make better decisions. So when does Kirov, when does being a Makarav become manipulative? And to highlight this, I want to share with you a story that those of you who are in my classes know this story. And we're trying to get progressively more subversive. So this is a story that appears in one of Dostoevsky's novels. I don't know if any of you have Dostoevsky's novels on you in this room now, but if you do, now's the time to take it out. You can read along with me. He has a short story. It's a story in a story. When I was in elementary school, there was nothing more exciting than when a Rebbe or Mora tells a story within a story. And they would always preface it. Story in a story. We'd be like, whoa. Story in a story. This is getting big. (laughs) It's very, very exciting for us. And when I say that now, the original story in a story, Dostoyevsky tells is called The Grand Inquisitor. It is a story about the Christian world. And it's a story that during the Spanish Inquisition... When the church was trying to do forced conversions, in the middle of Spain, a man appeared. A man who was familiar to a lot of Christians and would be familiar to a lot of you. A man with a long beard and long hair. And he started performing miracles. And to people of the Christian faith, they started to mumble and say, Wow, I think this is the second coming of the person who we were raised to believe is our Savior. And they thought that this person was Jesus. So in the story, and it's not a true story. They have to make a lot of new decisions if that was a true story. It's not a true story. But in this story, something amazing happens. They take this man, and the church takes him into a room to interrogate him. And they tell him that you're under arrest. And Jesus is befuddled. He says, I'm under arrest. What am I being arrested for? So they say something amazing. The church looked at them and said, I want you to know something. I know that for when we first got established, we were working on your behalf. We were working to spread the gospel of Jesus. But at some point in time, we decided we're no longer working for you, and we want to work for ourselves. We no longer are interested in you coming back and you're under arrest because you're going to undermine all of our power and our entire mission. The Inquisitor says, perhaps it is thy will to hear it from my lips. Listen then, we are not working for thee. They're talking to the person who they think is their Messiah. But with him, meaning for ourselves, that is our mystery. We are no longer working for you. And I think this is the danger of the manipulation in Kiruv. When we are no longer working to cultivate a relationship ultimately with God, but the goal and destination is developing a relationship with us. And all of us have either been in relationships or witnessed us relationships. Where all of a sudden we start to talk in the possessive about my teens. My, my guys, you're not going to understand my girls. You don't, you don't understand them. Only I can understand them. Oh, they, they go on to a, to a seminary, to a yeshiva, to a college campus. And a teacher says, oh, you know, look, you know, normally you would say, look after my teens. But, but instead you say, no, 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 they have to come back to me. And you start hearing teachers undermining one another. You start hearing whispers. And many of you, I, I, I don't think there's a person in this room who hasn't heard one mentor or teacher bash another. Oh, you're going to such and such as class. Cute, cute. They're, okay, they're, they're, they're interesting. Inter- be careful, be careful, because, you know, it's, you have, you have to know, and like, they're good, I mean, they mean well, but also they're, they're Satan, so it's a little bit of both. <laughs> so you need to balance it out. We, we've been in those situations. What is happening when we overhear that? I'll tell you what's happening. You are witnessing the Grand Inquisitor. You are witnessing somebody who is in Kirov not for developing a relationship with other, with God, with self-actualization, but somebody who is cultivating a relationship with me, with my people. And that is a danger. The Gemara says that you have to seek a teacher, a Rav, who is Dome lemalach to an angel. Now, obviously, this begs the question that none of us, myself, first and foremost, are angelic. I am not an angel. I fail. I make mistakes on a daily, moment-to-moment basis. So how can it be that the person who you should be seeking guidance from is considered an angel, considered a malach? I think the Gemara means something very different. A malach doesn't just mean an angel. A malach means a faithful messenger. It is somebody who stays true to their message. And the person who you need to seek and the person who you need to become in the world of Kiruv is somebody who is faithful to the message. The messenger needs to keep in the front of their mind who am I working for? On whose behalf am I working? And the moment that you realize that you are in the business for yourself, your own self-aggrandizement, your own status, your own feeling good about yourself, you realize that the relationship you are cultivating can very easily deteriorate into manipulation. There is a final term, which somebody spoke out earlier, the one that we are most familiar with. If malamade is content curriculum-driven education if Makarev is relationship driven education there is a word called chinuch and allow me to present very briefly about what the word chinuch is and what it is about most people think of the word chinuch as just translating as education the word chinuch in the Gemara, if you go through the suggis and Menachos that talk about this in Dafnun there is a concept of chinuch of being mechanech the clay, hamishkan and the kl- kalim of the base hamigdash, that before you take a vessel and you use it in the Base hamigdash, you can't just buy something in amazing savings in Costco and then bring it into the base hamigdash and use it. You need to be mechanech the kalim. Many of the rishonim count this as one of the mitzvos of the avodas hamishkan and the avodas base hamigdash of actually being mechanech the kalim. Being mechanech a clay. What does that mean? You're not educating, you're not giving a class to a knife, you're not giving a class to a fork or to a pitcher. What are you doing to be mechanich a vessel? Being mechanich a vessel is giving a kli, giving a vessel the capacity to serve. And chinuch, in my opinion, is student-driven education. It is education that is driven by the needs of the students, and education with the goal in mind of giving the recipients the capacity to learn on their own. I'll end with a, with a pusuk that all of us know and all of us are familiar with, and I am fond of pointing out how often it is misunderstood. Mm-hmm. The puzzle that all of us know says teach a child according to its way the gam even when you get older lo you will not stray so most people think of this verse in Mishlei as teach a child according to its way. Teach a child in the way that they like to learn. If you teach a child to fall in love with math, they won't stray from that path. They're going to fall in love with math the rest of their life. They're going to want to use that subject. You teach somebody to fall in love with Torah, the rest of their life, they're going to want to learn Tanakh Gemara. You teach somebody to fall in love with science, programming, chemistry, the gam even when they get older, they're not going to want to stray from it. What is the it? So we like to think that it is the subject matter of the Chinuch. But I would like to submit to you today, based on the concept of mechanech clay Hamishkan, that Khanok Lana Pidarko, Kiyaskin Lo Yasumir, the thing that you are not going to stray from, if you fall in love with Chinuch, is education itself that chanoch If you give a student the capacity to learn, if you empower a teen, a child, an adult, and give them the drive, the inspiration to learn, gab kiyazkin lo meno. Even when that person gets older and matures, lo meno they will not stray. itself is going to be a person for the rest of their lives they fell in love with the thing that really gives us all of the energy in life, whether religiously or emotionally, which is education itself. And that ultimately, I believe, is at the heart of healthy education and healthy outreach. It is student-driven learning where what you are trying to have the student fall in love with is not a specific decision, is not signing up for a specific program, but giving them the capacity and the love for education itself. And if you look back in each of these three words, whether it's not falling into the traps of content of being a Malamed, or falling into the traps of relationships, and how that can so often go astray, if you don't develop relationships in a healthy and faithful way, chinuch at the heart is ultimately student-empowered learning where what we're trying to do is give the kalim, inaugurate vessels the minds of the next generation of Jewish learning and giving them the love and inspiration for lifelong growth and lifelong education. So even when they get older, Vegam Kiyaskin, Lo Mimeno, they will not stray. Thank you all so much.